Yo, what is going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Mike Bartner Show. Hockey is only eight days away. I'm so goddamn happy. I've been talking about all this offseason stuff. We finally have hockey to talk about, hockey predictions to be made. So today I'm doing my first division predictions. We're going to be looking at the Pacific Division. That's going to be at the end of the video. To start off, we're going to go through some relevant news. Trevor Zegras finally re-signed three years, $5.75 million. The Wild had some pretty wild signings of their veteran boom that joke just bombed and also the ottawa senators are kind of getting shit on right now because they waived two first round picks so we're going to go over those three topics and then dive into the pacific division preview so without further ado let's get into the value i think that's fantastic value for the anaheim ducks my only problem is and i went in depth on this on my tiktok is what are the ducks going to do over the next three years they're not that competitive of a team so yes you're bridging him and that bridge is fantastic value for a guy that gets you 60 points pretty consistently mid 60s he's a very good offensive player very good play driver but that defense is a pretty pretty big wart in his game but 5.75 for a mid 60 point guy that is good value but over the next three years are the Anaheim Ducks going to be using that money to go out and actually contend have Zegers on that low cap hit and utilize that surplus value in order to win I don't really think that's the case that's why I kept on saying I think they should have got something done long term even if it was going back to that comparison even if it was Let's say he gave a guy a Jack Hughes 8x8. People would think it's ridiculous because Jack Hughes only gets paid $8 million. Are you telling me that Trevor Zegras will not at least be worth $8 million in four years when he's still probably putting up around 70 points and the cap has risen $10, $15 million? I would have just swallowed it now because now it screams that the Anaheim Ducks in three years, once Carlson's a stud, once... Uh, Zellwerg is a stud and they have to pay all those guys and you also have to worry about Trevor Zegras now who's probably going to be mid 70s maybe even 80 point guy and still have that popularity going back to the the question the popularity they were able to wrangle him in be like oh you have all this hype but you haven't really proved it yet if he has the track record in three years as well as that popularity and marketability you're gonna have to give him like 8.5 9 million dollars maybe even more again with that cap rising so overall 
there is some big risk involved in it. I compare it to the Rasmus Dahlin contract in the sense that Rasmus Dahlin got paid the three-year bridge deal. I think it was $6.25 million. Buffalo didn't make the playoffs two of those years. We're going to see what happens this year. But now they got great value on that bridge deal, but not really a lot of team success. So now you're going to have to buckle in and pay them $10.5 million. I am just such a fan of giving these young studs that are proven to a degree. Zegris, I think we can agree at worst, is going to be an elite second line center that can get you 60 plus points. Is that worth $7.5 to $8 million on a long-term deal? Yes. And his ceiling, once the Ducks actually have some talent, could legitimately be point per game. I never, I don't think he's ever going to be a top five center, maybe even not. He could be top 10, fringe top 10, but Maybe he doesn't have that high, high ceiling, but I think you still should have locked him up. But that's just my thoughts. And when looking at the Ducks' salary cap situation, it's not like they have any money tied long-term. The only guy that they have signed long-term right now is obviously Troy Terry, who signed for the next seven years. So it's not like they had this cap crunch. I think you just should have given out that money similarly to a team that we're going to talk about later. The Ottawa Senators just handed out long-term deals, and thus far, it has worked out fantastic. They gave Brady Kachuk. He didn't even have the resume that Trevor Zegers has. He got a seven-year, $7.8 million deal. He got absolutely clowned for that. Looks like a fantastic deal now. Tim Stutzla, before he broke out, they paid him. Looks like a fantastic deal. Ottawa was in that situation where they had the salary cap space, so they decided to take a shot on their young guys. Anaheim seems to not be going down that path. Maybe Zegers is just Fugazi, and maybe they won't. He won't break out and become a point per game stud, but it is very risky. And, and if he doesn't break out, then the Ducks rebuild is kind of not in jeopardy, but that's definitely not a good sign for the Anaheim Ducks. And when looking at their wait, oh, and when looking at them next year, whoops, messed that up. But uh, overall, I, I can't I can't say I love it for the Anaheim Ducks. It's it, it's good value over the next three years, but I don't really see the point. But moving on. We got a question regarding the Anaheim, the Minnesota Wild. Jesus, I'm stumbling. This comes from us from Matt. The Wild signings. Bit of a random signing, but the Wilds locked up some oldies. What do you think of these deals? Kind of weird given their ages, but I think there's some value in both. So Minnesota Wild obviously re-signed both Matt Zuccarello and Marcus Foligno. I'm going to talk about the deal that I really like first and then kind of dive into the one that I don't think is that good. Matt Zuccarello. Two years. At $4.125 million. That's a great deal. There's definitely some risk involved in it. But when you look at Matt Zuccarello over the last three years, he's been basically point per game over the last three years. He has 181 points in 190 games over the last three years playing on Krill Kaprizov's line. So you look at that, you get him for $4.125 million. And yes, that deal doesn't kick in until he's 37 years old. There is some risk that maybe he falls off this year, but even at $4.125 million, you don't need him to be even like the player that he's been the past three years, a first liner, 70 to 80 point pace. You don't need him that. So they're kind of assuming that he will fall off to a degree this year and only be maybe a 65 point guy. And then once that extension kicks in, as long as he's a 50 to 55 even point guy for those two years. $4.125 $4.125 million is basically nothing. That's what you give good third liners, low second line, low and second liners. So he hasn't really felt the age, the age curve yet. He hasn't really regressed at all. So when looking at Matt Zuccarello, I think he can play at this high level for another three years before he maybe really, really falls off. Maybe that final year you end up trading him. But again, $4.125 million, one year left. 
if you have to move that deal in two years, if you have to move that contract in two years, that's a movable contract. That, that, that doesn't have that much term. But overall, I think Matt Zuccarello on that contract is very good value. It's, it's, it's Kirill Kaprizov's right-hand man. He's been so successful with Kirill Kaprizov. He has that speed. He has that skill. He has that agility to keep up with the Kirill Kaprizov. Not a lot of players can do that. And them on a line together have been one of the best, most underrated lines in hockey. Him, Ryan Hartman, Ryan Hartman as, as their center in Kirill Kaprizov has been fantastic for the Minnesota Wild. And I expect, especially playing with Kirill Kaprizov during that contract, he's not going to fall off drastically. But on the flip side of that, there's also the Marcus Foligno deal. The Marcus Foligno deal is four years, $4 million for Marcus Foligno. And if you don't know Marcus Foligno, he is 32 years old right now. Three years ago, 20, 26 points in 39 games in that COVID-shortened year. He was... He was very good. He was effective. He was like selkie level defense. That was when he was 30 last year or two years ago, 42 points in 74 games, still 23 goals, still a very good middle sixer, second liner. And then this year, seven goals and 14 points or 14 assists for 21 points in 74 games. That's he's already compared to Zuccarello, who hasn't really felt the age curve at all. Marcus Foligno has been on a three-year downward trajectory, and then you give him this four-year, $4 million deal. Yes, he is four years younger than Zuccarello, but yes, one has been rapidly regressing. The other one did have a down year, but a down year compared to 79 points in 70 games. He was only 68 points in 79 games this year. That's, that, that is a massive difference. So when looking at Marcus Foligno, I think this deal is pretty troublesome. You look at his advanced analytics... It backs up. Maybe I think he will bounce back defensively this year because he has been so elite defensively in previous years. But that offense and that finishing just isn't there anymore. And for a guy like Marcus Felino that's been pretty heavily in the bottom six the last two years, I don't think he's going to get elevated and be able to justify that $4 million. Are you going to be paying for a guy in your mid-30s $4 million with three, four years left on that contract? That's the problem. Like Zuccarello... You can pretty easily, I don't think he's going to fall off hard. I think the first year of that $4 million contract will be solid value for the Minnesota Wild. And even if they have to deal him, even with two years left, you can make that work. You can make that work. Two years, $4 million. You attach a second round pick to the San Jose Sharks or something. You can get rid of him. Marcus Felino. again, this deal doesn't kick in next year. It doesn't kick in now. It kicks in when he's 33. It goes 33 to 37. So he's coming off again. All right, again. A career worst year, 21 points in 65 games. He wasn't even worth $4 million last year. So if he, unless he bounces back massively, I think he's probably going to stay the same, be around the 30-point fourth liner for the most part, maybe third liner. If he just continues this trajectory, you have a case where you're going to have a fourth liner with three, two, three years left. Making $4 million with term, with term. This is the Athletics contract projection for Marcus Foligno. It says next year, he's worth about $2.7 million, then 2.3, then 1.7, then $1 million. Still have two years left on that deal. Then by the last year of the contract, he's still making $4 million. He'll be worth basically the league minimum at $0.7 million. So yeah, I, I, I can't get behind this deal. I really can't. I think he's definitely, again... Gonna have a bounce back compared to last year. Last year was really bad, but he doesn't really offer much offensively. 
from an offensive standpoint, and is he worth an aging guy, defensive bottom sixer for four years with term? If it was two years, $4 million, I, I could kind of see where they're coming from. I, I'd probably still not like it, but I could at least see, yeah, he won't fall off off a cliff. When you're talking four years, he's going to be get, getting paid still in five years from now. That's really risky, and especially with a team that when these contracts kick in in 2024, 2025, they're still going to have $14 million of dead cap from the Prezi and Suter deals. So I thought they were like getting out of all that bad money, but then they're just plunging themselves almost into a, one to two million dollar deficit at least over the next three four years with this Marcus Felino deal. It's very, it's 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 very it's very confusing in my opinion. I was a big Billy G guy. I think the Zuccarello deal is a very good deal, but this deal is is kind of scaring me for the Minnesota Wild if they're willing to lock up these old guys. I thought they were smart in buying out Parisi and Suter just because they had so much term left on their deal. But this kind of seems like a step back to go. Yeah, we brought out we bought out our old washed up guys. But Marcus Foligno, get get this four year, four million dollar bag from us real quick. I I I don't I don't see the vision on this one. Again, I think Billy G has been very good as a general manager, but this this one this one seems not optimal for the Minnesota Wild. But moving on, let me know in the comments what do you think about the Minnesota Wild? Do you like the Zuccarello deal? Do you like the Foligno deal? Want to hear from you guys? Let me know in the comments. Next up. The Ottawa Senators, this comes from Matt as well. The Ottawa Senators have waived both Lassie Thompson and Jacob Bernard Docker. I don't know why I said Jared. He's Jacob, right? Uh, Bernard Docker, both of whom were recent first-round picks. How can you mess up that bad in terms of asset management? So obviously, the Senators did waive these two first-round picks. I believe uh, JBD went 26th overall in 2018. Lassie Thompson went 19th overall in 2019. Both defensemen, both right-handed defensemen, I believe. And yeah, they're on waivers. Lassie Thompson obviously got picked up by the Anaheim Ducks. I think it's a very good move for the Anaheim Ducks. Their blue line's absolute garbage. So why not bring in Lassie Thompson, a guy that had uh, 33 points in, I believe, 56 AHL games last year. It's a solid grab. Why not? He's still only 23. But when looking at this from the Ottawa Senators' perspective, and JBD's probably going to get picked up, I'd assume some rebuilding team might as well take a shot on him, but I think Lassie Thompson definitely was more appealing. But when looking at this from the Ottawa Senators, it's it's without a doubt bad asset management. Do I think that this is like a fireable offense for Pierre Dorian? This is the worst thing ever. Those guys are going to end up becoming all-world defensemen. I do think people are overreacting to this to a degree, but from a negative perspective, the Ottawa Senators badly need depth. They need depth. They need defenseman depth. This is their defensive lines right now. Whoops. Um, this is their defensive lines right now. And it's pretty solid. Right now, I don't think JBD or Lassie Thompson would crack those. So I understand why they got sent down. They're not they're not as good as even Travis Hamanick right now, in my opinion. I'd rather have Travis Hamanick over those unproven guys. But to lose them, to sign JBD to that one-way deal, I don't know why he got signed to a one-way deal and then have to send them through waivers and just to lose Lassie Thompson as well. It's unacceptable because as soon as one of these guys go down... You're going to have to bring in probably like Tyler Clevin, who's a year or two younger than JBD or Lassie Thompson. They don't have the depth right now. I, I, I agree that if they are healthy, yeah, those guys, it's not the end of the world. They're probably not going to be all world defenders, but the auto senators are one injury away, one Shabbat, one Chikrin from having going from a solid blue line to now. Absolutely. If you switch out one of these top three guys 
for one of their depth pieces now, it's going to be a massive drop-off. But overall, with these guys, do I think they are all-world talents? You look at Lassie Thompson, he had a pretty, uh, pretty solid year in the AHL, 33 points in 56 games, 26 and 44 before that, 10 goals, wow. And uh, JBD was solid in North Dakota, Belleville, he's more of a defensive defenseman. But I think there is a sunk cost fallacy with these two guys. Yes, they are first round picks, but they they clearly weren't trending towards illustrious NHL careers. So I do think people are kind of overreacting just because they see first round picks. For me, this is more of a development mess up by the Ottawa Senators. The fact that by their fifth and fourth pro seasons, they're not ready for the NHL is kind of a massive a massive mistake by the Ottawa Senators because the Ottawa Senators hit on like their top five picks, Kachuk, Stutzla, Sanderson, but their record beyond that, obviously they traded for Norris, Batherson was a late, late pick, but they have not been able to develop a lot of their mid to late first round picks. Uh, Thompson, JBD, Bouchard. Yeah, Bouchard looks like... Bouchard? Why am I botching on that? But um, Tyler... Tyler Butcher, I don't know. I botched on that name. Cut that out. But um, he he has not. Um, he they they really have not panned out in terms of some of their mid to late first round picks. The development has not been there. So I, I think people are definitely overreacting just because they are first round picks and just because it is the Ottawa Senators. But at the end of the day, Pierre Dorian has to do a better job. Has to not give Travis Hamonic a goddamn no movement clause in order to keep those kind of young guys that maybe could develop into bottom pair guys. I don't think any of those guys are going to turn into legitimate top four defensemen, but just to have them in your depth pieces. It's massive in the NHL nowadays. People get hurt all the time. Shabbat gets hurt all the time. Chikrin has not really been able to stay healthy throughout his career. So the fact that they might be turning to like Tyler Clevin come game 15 because of an injury, it's definitely scary for the Ottawa Senators. So it stinks. Maybe JBD won't get picked up. And the fact that they weren't able to at least trade like for like a fifth or sixth round pick for one of those guys, especially Lassie Thompson, who had the AHL stats, that makes no sense for me. And if I was like a San Jose Sharks, I would just toss a fifth, sixth. I guess they waited for waivers. Anaheim, top, top of the page because they had the worst record in the NHL. So I guess they, every team wanted, every team probably put in a claim for Lassie Thompson. But overall, it's pretty solid. It's what am I saying? It's pretty solid, but overall, it's not. It's not that big of a deal in terms of what they lost. I don't think these players are going to end up being superstars. But with, but moving on, moving on, we now have our Pacific Division predictions. These I'm going to go eight through one. I'm going to go eighth, seventh, sixth, fifth, fourth, third, second, first. You know the deal. We're going to start with the worst team in my opinion, and I'm going to bring up my notes right now. I got them ready to go. Up first and eighth in the Pacific Division. The San Jose Sharks. I don't think that this is that controversial of a pick. San Jose Sharks are going to stink. They're, they're going to be absolutely brutal. Last year, I have them at a 20, 50, and 8 team for 56 points. Last year, they were a brutal 60-point team. Obviously, they trade Eric Carlson. You're going to go from Eric Carlson to Jan Ruda. Yes, that might honestly be an improvement defensively, but looking at them offensively, that's a net gain of like or net loss of like 70 goddamn points. The goaltending tandem is absolutely atrocious as of right now. It's Capo Kakinen and Mackenzie Blackwood. Capo Kakinen had an 883 last year and a negative 24 goal saved above expected. He was solid the previous year in Minnesota, but I think that's more of 
Minnesota's defensive system, we saw with Cam Talbot, he was good in Minnesota, goes to Ottawa, absolute shit. I think similar to Carolina, Minnesota just has a better system. But Capo Kakinen, as soon as he was left on an island in San Jose, it was brutal. It was absolutely brutal. And Mackenzie Blackwood obviously lost the job in New, in New Jersey at an 893. They didn't even, I think they ended up trading like a six-round pick, but they didn't even like tender his RFA rights. And when looking at the San Jose Sharks, that defense core looks absolutely brutal. Again, Jan Ruda, Mario Ferraro as the number one defenseman, Mark Edward Vlasic, absolutely washed up. Redeen Simic, I think. I, I, I don't even, I barely even know who that is. So the defense core is going to absolutely bleed goals, especially with that goalie tandem. When it comes to forwards, I think they actually have some decent pieces, Couture, Hurdle. And then they have a decent amount of like misfit toys in a way, guys that teams just threw away, dumped salary cap, dumped in trades. You look at Mikel Granlin, maybe he can turn back the clock. Anthony Duclair is actually a pretty solid player when healthy. Tours Achilles wasn't really the same, but he, he, he's probably like the second best forward, third best forward on that team. Philip Zadina, misfit toy, sixth overall pick in 2018. I, I don't think he's going to develop into anything, but he can't get much worse than he was in Detroit. Mike Hoffman, always a good offensive talent. Can he get you 20, 25 goals and then you trade him at the deadline? And then Fabian Zetterlin was a part of the Timo Meyer trade. Solid middle sixer. He's 22 or 23. Maybe he can turn into something. So there's a lot of question marks with this San Jose Sharks team that could maybe make them like a somewhat competitive team, 65, 70 points, but most likely they're going to be 60 or below. I have them at 56 just because basically a lot of teams in the NHL are trying this year. There's not as much Bedard tanking, and they are one of the teams that are clearly tanking. So I think they're going to be pretty bad. Up next, I got the Anaheim Ducks. I think this is also pretty consensus. I got them at a 30, 42, and 10 record for 70 points. Obviously, getting Zegris back, not having to him miss multiple weeks in the season is a massive get, having your number one legit center. But as you bring back Zegris, Alex Killorn is now out four to six weeks. And I actually, in terms of like, the timeline, I don't really like the Alex Killorn deal because he signed four years, he's 34 years old at this point. It, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. But just for next year, I think he actually is a pretty solid ad to play with Zegris, to play with Terry, him being more of that power forward, physical force. So then Zegris and Killorn can just skill dangle their way to the net. Having that kind of enforcer that also has a decent amount of skill on their line. I think that's actually going to be one of the most under, underrated lines in all of hockey. Besides that, the defensive core was horrendous last year. They had 3.27 goals against expected per game, which was the worst of like the entire advanced stats analytical model of all time. And this year, they're thankfully revamping the defense core completely. Jamie Drysdale should get signed. Uh, Olin Zellweger also comes in. Those guys are more of offensive defensemen, so maybe that won't help the defensive end that much, but their offensive defensemen should improve a lot and be able to bring a lot more offense to that team. Instead of last year, it was John Klingberg was offensive, but he was god-awful defensively. I don't think Zellweger and Drysdale are going to be that bad, and it was mainly just Cam Fowler carrying that entire group. So I think some of their ads this season, Gudis, uh, Robert Haig, who else? Uh, Labushkin. It's going to be a much improved defensive core because you really can't get much worse. It's a much better both offensively and more defensively and more physically compared to last year when it was Simon Benoit, Dmitry Kulikov, John Klingberg, Shattenkirk. I think they really revamped this defensive core to make it still bottom five in the NHL, but it's no longer the worst. 
And in terms of forward depth, Ryan Schrome really can't play much worse than he did last year. He was the worst even strength defensive player in the entire NHL out of forwards below Ovechkin, below Vertrano was also at the bottom of that list. So he was god awful. I think he's going to actually be improved, get you 45 to 50 points. Mason McTavish is a big question mark on this team. 43 points last year. Does he take that next step to around 55 to 60? If he does, that's a massive second line center for them. Leo Carlson, I'm not too sure what's going to go on with him. I obviously talked to him. He's a friend of the program. He might start in the AHL. We're not not 1,000% sure. I thought with Zegris out, he might get some like first line burn. He was he was matched up with uh, Z, with uh, Terry and Killorn in training camp. So I think Leo Carlson's going to be on the team. But if he is thrown in a third line center role, I don't think you can expect too much if he's playing with like Frank Vitrano and Jacob Silverberg. I don't think you can expect him to be that much in the call of the race. Although I think his future is fantastic. Maybe he'll play second line left wing with McTavish. But that's but that's about right with the Anaheim Ducks. I think they are going to be pretty garbage. Moving on at 88 points with a 40-34-8 record. I might surprise some people with this one. Going with the Seattle Kraken. Obviously, 100 points last year really shocked the world. They were god-awful in their inaugural season, 60 points. Then they go for 100 points. I think they're somewhere in the middle. More so good, obviously, 88 points. But I think last year was a little bit of a not Fugazi, but it was it was everything just came together for them. They were a very lucky team. In, ter- in terms of goals for above expected, they had 31.6. And for reference, the third place team in terms of that, that's how many goals you score above obviously expected. So kind of luck involved in that. You're obviously out shooting what you should be shooting. And in terms of that stat, the third highest team in that was the Rangers at 16.6. So they almost doubled up in terms of goals for above expected than the third highest team in the NHL. Their shooting percentage was absolutely insane. I think it was above or tied with the Boston Bruins, who obviously had the greatest regular season of all time. So I think when you look at that team, I'm not sure they're going to have the goal scoring that they did last year because besides Jared McCann, do we think they have any actual like real goal scorers? Maddie, maybe Maddie Beniers gets 30 just because he takes that next step. I don't think he's an actual like sniper. Getting Burakovsky back is definitely going to be big, but I think that offense, although it is so deep, they're three lines deep, I I don't see the goal scoring in the offensive even strength play driving in order to keep up with their rates last year. And last year, again, they were a 100-point team. They were. It's not like they were like a 110-point team and they're coming back down to earth. I think the Pacific's going to be far more competitive. And as a result, the Seattle Kraken are going to dip a little bit. Maybe... Maybe some of their guys like Tolvanen or Ty Cartier, if those guys can walk in and be legitimate 40 to 50 point guys, then maybe you're talking about a revamped offense. If you get another solid middle sixers out of those guys, I'm not banking on that. And you look at the defense core, Vince Dunn obviously exploded 64 points. I think he's going to come back down to earth. And the rest of their defense core is definitely solid, but it's a lot of good second pair of guys. They don't, Vince Dunn is obviously their guy. I don't think that they have that legit number two. Adam Larson's very a good player. Jamie Alexiak's also a good player. Seattle is the personification of depth, of quantity over quality in a way. And I think that worked for them last year in kind of a wide open Pacific Division. Calgary absolutely shit the bed. But I think this year with some of those teams stepping up their game, I don't think they're going to be able to pick off those points like they did last year. And obviously in net... Am I going to rely on Philip Grubauer after a great playoff run, even though he was 
he was better than his inaugural season. Inaugural season, he was like the worst goalie in the entire NHL. He was definitely better last year. But do I think their tandem is top 20 in the NHL? I don't. I, I, I'm not confident in their goaltending, even though it was bad last year, but I don't think it's going to improve that much. So overall with the Seattle Kraken, I, I just think the offensive scoring, goal scoring is going to go down this year. And as a result, they're going to go from like an 100-point team to around 88. I, I still think they're good long-term because been years, right? You got a bunch of studs coming up. But I think next year is going to be a little bit of a comeback down-to-earth year for the Seattle Kraken. I... When it comes to playoff predictions and standing predictions, you can't pick the same goddamn teams to make the playoffs every year. That's boring. So obviously the Seattle Kraken, my one team right now that I think is going to drop off. Moving on. I got the, the Vancouver Canucks. 93 points, 41, 30, and 11. I, I, I can't believe I'm actually high in the Vancouver Canucks. I think they're going to be fighting for a playoff spot. I'm going to do the Central Division tomorrow. I'm not sure if I have them in or the Winnipeg Jets right now, but when you look at the Vancouver Canucks, where it starts, it's going to be in net. Thatcher Demko, horrible to start the year. He was 10, it was 3, 10, and 2 with an 883 and a 3.73. Then the back end of the year, he had a 915 and was like 10, 2, and 4. He he flipped it around. He went back to his old self. It's going to start in net for them because if they have to rely on Spencer Martin, even still there. Their defense, their their goal, their backup goaltender is a serious concern. Obviously, if if Thatcher Demko is not consistent, if he doesn't give them at least a nine ten, this prediction goes out the window. They're going to be garbage. Thatcher Demko is obviously the most important player on the Vancouver Canucks for next year. I know I'm getting a hundred points out of Elias Pettersson. I know I'm getting around point per game from JT Miller. I know Quinn Hughes is putting up 75-ish points. I know that's all going to happen for me. Thatcher Demko is massive, and I think they did improve the defense score by a decent margin. Ian Cole, sneaky one of the best defensive defensemen in the entire league last year. His even strength defense was second only to TJ Brody, according to Evolving Hockey. He's really going to step in and provide depth on that second pair defenseman. He's going to be able to give you 20 minutes a night of lockdown defense. Philip Hronick, again, I don't love it for their timeline that they traded Bo Horvat, then like went all in in terms of trading for Philip Hronick, flipping those picks. But I do think he is going to be a great number two defenseman for Quinn Hughes, a right-handed guy that can get you 45 points, maybe even 50 as that number two. They've been lacking that. It's been Quinn Hughes and basically low-end defensive defenseman. They haven't really had that two-way stud like a Philip Peronic that can kind of maybe take some of the load off of Quinn Hughes. Something that's going to be massive for the team as a whole. And the rest of their defensive core, Carson Soucy is another solid piece. It went from a bad defensive core to a serviceable one, especially with Thatcher Demko in net, who I think is a top 10 starter, 10th best starter in the entire league. I think they're going to have a pretty effective defensive core and be able to keep the goals against low. On offense, there's a couple pieces that I'm questionable about. Brock Besser has plateaued and even decreased in previous years. He's just like a 55 point guy now at this point. Can he finally get it back? I think he is in a contract year, so that's going to be massive. Anthony Beauvillier is a real question mark. He had 16 points in his first 18 games, the Vancouver Canucks. I remember everybody was like, the Islanders lost that trade. The Islanders literally got the worst player. And then, uh, and then in his final 14 games, he had four points and everybody's like, oh, that's not saying Bo Horvat played fantastic with the Vancouver Canucks, but Anthony Beauvillier, he's probably going to be on Pedersen's wing again. Can he, like in his best seasons with the Islanders, can he give you 27 goals and 20, 20, 23 goals and 27 assists for 50 points? 
It's possible, and that's going to be massive in terms of their depth scoring. Andre Kuzmenko obviously shot 27% last year. That's going to go down, but like with Bavillier, he should be on the same wing as Kuzmenko as Pedersen. So can Kuzmenko still give you low 30s goals, 60, 65 points? I think he can. Other guys, uh, Teddy Bluger, I think was a good ad for the Vancouver Canucks. Ilya Mikheyev, can he stay healthy for a full season? I don't know. He never can stay healthy, but if he is healthy, he can probably give you 25 goals. So for the Vancouver Canucks, it starts in net. Thatcher Demko has to be very good. The defensive core, I think, will be improved. The penalty kill has to be improved. I, I, it, it was worse than the entire NHL last year. There's so many, there's so much room for improvement for this team compared to a Kraken, where I don't think that they can improve that much on their team. That I am pretty high on the Vancouver Canucks. Moving on, we got the. Let me pull this up. Moving on, we have the Calgary Flames. Calgary Flames. I have them as a 90. Eight point team. Yes, I have the Calgary Flames. Whoops. Yes, I have the Calgary Flames as a 98 point team. I think they make it back in the playoffs. Last year, they were historically bad in the playoffs or in the in overtime in the shootout. They lost 17 games in overtime and shootout. They went 17, 7 and 17. So again, like with the Vancouver Canucks, that has to improve. There's no way they have, let me do the math here. There's no way they have like a 30% win percentage in overtime again. I think it's actually worse. I think it's like 28%. There's no, they're, they're, so from that, they should improve by a couple points. And when looking at it, guys like Jonathan Huberto can't play much worse than they did last year. I think he's slated to go to like 80 to 85 points. Mangiapane, I think, has an improved year. He scored 32 years ago, then kind of fell off this year. Uh, Lindholm only 60 points. I think with Huberto, he can get back to like 70, 80 points. There's so much room for this team in terms of improvement on the offensive end because they were so goddamn dreadful last year that, that I think that there, there is so many points to be made up for the Calgary Flames. Obviously, the defense core, absolutely insane. Hannafin, Anderson, Uyghur, Zadorov, Hanev, Chillington. They don't have any like legit number one. I guess Noah Hannafin or Anderson would be their number one, but they're not actual number ones, but they have a case between Hannafin, Anderson, Uyghur, and and Tanev to have like four top 40 to top 50 defensemen. There's not a lot of teams that can make that argument. So I think defensively, they will again be very good. They were very good last year, which takes us to Jacob Markstrom. He can't play much worse than he did last year. He had like the worst year of his career. He had an 893. Even if he is in 905 last year, that team easily makes the playoffs. So I think when you look at him, him and Dan Vladar or Dustin Wolf, I think they're going to have a very good goalie tandem compared to last year when it was one of the worst goaltending situations in the entire league. If you can get some consistency out of Jacob Markstrom, you don't need him to go back to his Vesna finalist form two years ago when they won the division. You literally just need a 905, maybe get to a 908 in terms of a team save percentage and just Markstrom on the whole. And you're going to have a very good competitive team on your hand with the Calgary Flames. Like with the Kraken, how they were so bad in their first year, so good in their second year, they're somewhere in between. I think the Flames are somewhere in between last year when they were so bad. And well, they weren't even that bad. They're like 93 point team. Last year when they were so bad and when they won the division. I, I Losing Kachuk and Goudreau is huge, but they ha- still have the depth. They still have that defense score. And Jacob Markstrom just needs to play better. Moving on with 102 points. A 47, 27, and 8 record. I got the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, This might seem low. Yes, they just did win the Stanley Cup. Yes, they were a 111-point team last year. But I do think there is going to be some kind of Stanley Cup hangover for the Vegas Golden Knights. 
You look at it, their core is starting to get up there in age. Martinez is 35, Petrangelo's 33, uh, Marcia's 32, Stone's 31, Carlson's 30, Stevenson's 29, Theodore and Eichel are their young guys, and Theodore's 27, Eichel's about to be 27 in like a month or two. So when you look at this team, they're starting to get up there in age, so I do think there is going to be some regression, and there's also just going to be not that urgency in a way to dominate in the regular season because last year they missed the playoffs. They had so much to prove in the regular season that they were balls to the wall. Although stone only played what, like 43 games. They did have a ton of injuries last year. I think there's going to be some strategic resting this year for the Vegas golden Knights. I still think they are one of the best teams in the league, but in terms of the regular season, I do think they are going to kind of cruise their degree. Mark stones said it himself. He's probably only going to play like half the year. Eichel, probably going to get hurt for a period. And that, I do think the Hill and Thompson tandem actually is pretty solid. People are, are underrating that tandem. So I still think they are a safe playoff team, but again, 102 points. I think once they are safely in a playoff spot, similarly, similarly to Tampa last year, once they are safely in that like second or third spot in the, in the Pacific Division, I think they're just going to go and kind of cruise control for the back half of the year. I don't think they're going to have that urgency to win a division title. A team that I do think has a lot of urgency is the LA Kings. I have them at 49, 27 and six for 104 points. I have them in second in this division last year. I think they were either 103 and 104 points. They're so deep in terms of their forward core. Obviously their center lineup is Kopitar, PLD and Deneau. That is insane. That that's a top three, three C. I guess like McDavid, Dreisaitl, and whoever the hell they have is the third centers deep. But in terms of like average, how good that is, that might be the best in the entire league. They're going to be so effective both ways with all their lines. It's not like they have this sick offensive line then like a shutdown line. No, they just they just play fantastic two way hockey as well as their wingers. Kempe forty goals last year. Arvidsson can put up around sixty points. Fiala is one of the best playmakers in the entire league, consistently point per game. What it's going to come down to with this team is obviously the goalie tandem, Phoenix Copley, Copley and Cam Talbot. Similarly to the, to the Calgary Flames, as long as they can get 905, 908 goaltending out of those guys, because again, they were probably the worst goaltending situation out of any playoff team in the entire league last year. People forget how horrible Jonathan Quick was. Like, again, people think it was so disrespectful that they traded Jonathan Quick. Jonathan Quick got himself traded with horrendous play. That was kind of on Jonathan Quick. Like, people are like, oh, it's so disrespectful. He was, like, the worst starting goalie in the entire NHL last year. It was, it was really bad. It was really bad from Jonathan Quick. So, I think Copley and... Uh, Talbot can be as good as that can be better than last year's goalie tandem. And the X factors for this team, in my opinion, are Brant Clark and Quinton Byfield. Quinton Byfield hasn't really panned out 33 points in 99 games thus far. He's going to be put on top line with Kopitar and Kempe. It's really put up or shut up at this point for Quinton Byfield. I'm betting on him to have over 40 points. I know that's like 40 points that that's not that much it, it would be massive for Quinn and Byfield to have a 40 point season and massive for the team as a whole because last year he was only 19 points in 50 something games so they need Quinn and Byfield to step up and then in terms of Brant Clark that defense core is kind of lacking some offense they obviously have Dowdy uh Gavrikov who I think is going to be I'll talk about Gavrikov in a little bit but Mikey Anderson they are lacking some offensive talent offensive creativity on that blue line Brant Clark can come in and play 20 minutes a night. 
man that second power play, maybe even get some first power play minutes and give you 35 to 40 points. That's going to be massive for them because obviously they lost Sean Thursday. They're expecting Brant Clark to be a better Sean Thursday right off the rip, which I think he is perfectly capable of. If not, maybe Jordan Spence can be that. And the last piece is obviously Gavrikov. He got clowned to holy hell when he got acquired by the Columbus Blue Jackets. Oh, you gave up a first for uh, him and Corbisalo. Gavrikov, once he stepped in in LA into that second line role because of get second pair role, because again, he was the number one guy in Columbus because Wawrenski went down. His advanced stats were absolutely duty because again, he was playing top competition on one of the worst teams in the entire league. As soon as he got to LA, he was fantastic. He had a 58% expected goals percentage. And I think that will continue with the LA Kings. Him being that reliable two-way second pair defenseman is going to be very good. Just overall, I'm, I'm pretty high in the LA Kings. I love their depth in the fact that they... Like Seattle has the depth, but I think Kempe, Kopitar, uh, Fiala, PLD is better, is far better than the Seattle Kraken's top four forwards. They have maybe not super superstars, but they have star players as well as that depth. Seattle really doesn't have any stars besides maybe McCann, maybe Beniers next year. So that's why I'm so high on the LA Kings. And lastly, you know what that means? I got my Edmonton Oilers. 52 wins, 23 losses, and seven overtime losses for 111 points, 109 points last year. When you look at the Edmonton Oilers, post the Ekholm trade, they were 18-2-1. That is absolutely absurd. 18-2-1 is like better than Boston Bruins, but it's better than Boston Bruins. That's like an eight, that's like an 80. 7% points percentage. That's absolutely nuts. I don't think they're obviously going to be that good, but when you look at them, they were that good at the end of the season. They beat the LA Kings in six games and Vegas was disappointing for them, but they gave Vegas the eventual Stanley Cup champions by far their closest series. They took them to six. It was tied 2-2. Vegas also went to six with Dallas, but they were up 3 nothing in that series. They kind of just fiddled around with like Dallas once they got up three, nothing, but so the amateurs gave the eventual Stanley. I know there's no award for this, but they gave the Stanley cup champions their toughest series. And over the past couple of years, they have consistently been in the mid to high hundred points. I think a very underrated addition for them is going to be Connor Brown. He played with McDavid at the junior level. And even in his last full season, he had 39 points in 64 games, which is around 50-point pace, and that was on the Ottawa Senators. That wasn't with Connor McDavid. I think he could be a sneaky 55- to 60-point guy if he plays in that top six. The offense is obviously ridiculous. They led the NHL in scoring last year with 3.96 goals per game. Second place was Boston with 3.66 goals, so they were 0.3 goals better than the second-best team, the team that set the goddamn points record. So the offense is obviously going to be insane. That power play, it's going to dip a little bit, but it's the greatest of all time last year. It can dip a little bit and still be by far the best in the NHL. Defensively, again, I think it's a solid group. It went from bad, maybe pre-Ekholm trade and pre-Bouchard breakout to being solid now. Uh, they Similarly to uh, the Calgary Flames, they don't have that number one guy uh, like other teams. They have the Anderson Uyghur, uh, Hennepin, like those three guys. Similarly to that, the Oilers don't have a number one, but they have Nurse, Bouchard, and Ekholm, who all can be solid pieces, solid guys that give you 22 to 23 minutes a night. They, they together give you a very, very good, one of the best top three defensemen in the entire league. My one concern with that defensive core, and it is only the sixth defenseman, but right now it's between, I believe, Ben Gleason and Vinny DeHarnay. That's, that's brutal. That is 
That that that's god awful. If you think Travis Hamonick's a bad sixth defenseman for the Ottawa Senators, that sixth defenseman needs to be improved. They'll probably address it at the deadline. Just get a depth guy for dirt cheap. But right now, Cody CC will be fine. Um, Brett Kulak's a solid bottom pair guy. Number six defenseman is definitely going to be a gaping hole for them. But if that's one of the biggest holes on your team, that's not too bad. In terms of goaltending, Stuart Skinner proved that he can be a solid starter. 9-13 last year in 49 games, as long as he can repeat that to a degree in 50, maybe 55 games. And Jack Campbell's looking solid in the preseason. I'm not going to buy into the preseason hype, but I think he can't get much worse than he did last year. So between Skinner and Campbell, I think that is a fringe top, maybe top 16 tandem in the entire league. So I don't think goaltending is this massive gaping hole where they have to go out and trade for a Connor Hellebuck. I think it is solid to a degree. It's definitely not a strength, but it's definitely not a weakness. So overall, Edmonton Oilers, fantastic offense, probably the best offense in the league. The defense went from below average to solid, maybe even above average. And the goaltending from last year, how it started with Campbell, we didn't know Stuart Skinner was legit. It looked horrible. Now it looks solid, maybe above average. So I think everything with Edmonton, especially in the regular season, talk about playoffs later, they're going to outscore a lot of their problems and be able to rack up and win the Pacific Division, in my opinion. But overall, here's my full Pacific Division predictions. Oilers, 111. Kings, 104. Knights, 102. Flames, 98. Canucks, 93. Kraken, 88. Ducks, 70. Sharks, 56. That's the show. We went for a long time. We went for over 45 minutes. Let me know in the comments. What do you think about these predictions? Do you agree with me? Disagree with me? What do you think about the Zegra story? What do you think about the Senators waving first round picks like their goddamn candy? And also, of course, the Wilds, the Wilds, Wild extensions. I want to hear from you guys in the comments. Thank you guys for watching. Like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. Appreciate you.